0: My name's Emma Swan. I'm a partner here in our education team at HCR. I'd like to welcome you all to our latest podcast in which I'm very pleased to be joined by Coral Petrel, an education sister, to discuss how schools best manage parental complaints.
1: Thanks, Emma. Many schools have found that there's been an increase in parental complaints in the last couple of years, and they're not at all alone parental complaints is one area where we are seeing the biggest increase in queries from schools across the sector. Some consider that it's a result of homeschooling throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, while some others consider that parents are simply becoming more aware of avenues which are open to them. Regardless of the reason for the increase, it is important that schools are well equipped to manage parental complaints. So, what policies would you suggest that schools should
0: have in place to best manage these complaints?
1: That's a really good starting point. And one of the main areas where we often see schools fall down in respect to their parental complaints process is their policies. Commonly, schools rely on one complaints policy to be used by both parents and members of the public. Instead, they should have in place two separate policies, one for parents and one for members of the public. The process set out in the policy for complaints raised by members of the public can be more streamlined than the process which parents can follow and wouldn't, for example, allow the option for an appeal panel at stage three. Schools also need to make sure that their complaints policies are readily accessible by parents and staff, and that relevant people are trained in implementing the policies. There's not much use in having a policy if it's not available and understood. Thanks, Squirrel, Can you explain the process of managing a complaint and in
0: particular, the different stages?
1: Yes, of course. Um, in terms of parental complaints, rather than complaints from members of the public, There are three stages which should be set out in the school's policy. The first stage is informal resolution, and that's likely to be used where the parents make contact with the school to raise a concern. And that could be perhaps with the child's teacher or the head of year. Often schools are able to nip complaints in the bud at this first stage. If the parents remain dissatisfied, they can proceed to stage two, which is a formal complaint. And finally, if the parents still remain dissatisfied following stage two, they may proceed to stage three, which is an appeal heard by an independent appeals panel, two of which can be members of the governing body, and one of which should be independent. Schools should think quite carefully about who is best to deal with a formal complaint at stage two. A stage two formal complaints against school staff should be dealt with by the head teacher, unless the complaint is against the head teacher, in which case it should be dealt with by a suitably skilled member of the governing body. Whoever manages the complaint at stage two cannot be involved at stage three. If the complaint progresses that far, therefore, if the school's preference is for the chair of the governing body to be involved in the panel at stage three, they need to ensure that that person is not involved with the complaint at stage two. Where do you find that schools actually come unstuck when they're dealing
0: with parental complaints?
1: There are a few areas where schools can encounter issues. It doesn't tend to be the outcome itself where the school falls down. Instead, we often see schools falling down in terms of the management of the complaint itself at the outset of any complaint. The first thing that a school should consider is whether the complaint is out of time, if it is, and an exceptional circumstance does not apply the school can just respond to the parents confirming that they are out of time to raise their complaint in accordance with the school's policy. This being said, we do see policies which don't have this expected timescale. The schools should check their policy and include a timescale within which complaints must be raised. We recommend that this is set at three months from the date of the incident complained of. This can be a really helpful way to close complaints off before they even get off the ground. It could also be that the complaint doesn't fall within the scope of the school's complaints process. If, for example, the complaint relates to admissions to the school, exclusion, whistleblowing, or complaints about the content of the national curriculum, then it needs to be dealt with outside of the school's complaints policy. However, schools need to be certain as to the actual scope of the complaint and ensure that they don't reject a complaint which should be managed under the school's policy. For example, whilst complaints about the content of the national curriculum should be referred to the Department for Education rather than the school, complaints about the delivery of the national curriculum should be managed under the school's policy. In addition, an admissions appeal, for example, should be referred to the local authority, whilst there may be some nuances where a complaint relating to admission, such as a request for a child to be taught outside of their normal age group, should be dealt with under the school's complaints policy. If the complaint is ultimately within the relevant timescale and the scope of the school's complaint policy, the school needs to ensure that it follows its policy at all stages. This means that if a policy states that the complaint will be acknowledged within, for instance, five working days. The school must ensure that this is complied with, and if this is not possible, that it communicates with the parents to let them know and provide a revised timescale standard communications prepared for each stage can be helpful to ensure that the process is streamlined and easy to follow. In terms of the response at each stage of a complaint, it must be made clear to the parents what the next stage is. And if they wish to, for example, progress an informal complaint to a stage two formal complaint. The school should not state that a complaint can only be raised if the school commits. Complainants need to be given the opportunity to complete the complaint's procedure in full unless specific circumstances apply, such as they have not complied with the timeframes set out within the complaint's procedure. The school's response should be detailed and demonstrated that the complaint has been considered fully at each stage. We do see schools providing a one-liner simply stating that a stage two formal complaint has been dismissed. That's unlikely to bring any matter to an end, that the parents will in all likelihood remain dissatisfied with the brief response, and it may make the process of managing the complaints at stage three more challenging if details of the investigation is carried out and reasoning for the outcome at stage two are unclear. We also often see parents using stage three of the complaints process, that's the appeal panel, to attempt to bring new issues into the complaint. Schools need to ensure that parents aren't allowed to do so and that the Stage 3 panel is restricted to the complaint which has already been brought. Parents are also often using different avenues to challenge schools, for instance, making a complaint whilst also submitting subject access requests. Schools need to put in place processes to ensure that each communication is managed effectively and where, for example, a subject access request is submitted by a parent who is also making a complaint, subject access request is managed in accordance with the relevant guidelines and legislation. Thanks, Quirrell. Whilst, of course, it's
0: important for parents to have the right to bring a complaint where they have concerns, and sometimes it can be conduct, the parent themselves, that may be um, brought into question. What impact can this conduct have on the management of the complaint? What advice would you give the schools here?
1: You're absolutely right, Emma. As well as seeing an increase in the volume of parental complaints which schools are receiving generally. We are also seeing a sharp increase in the number of vexatious complaints received from parents. These might include, for example, complaints, which are obsessive, persistent, harassing, prolific, or repetitious, an insistence upon pursuing complaints without merit or unrealistic outcomes, which are beyond all reason. It could be insistence upon pursuing complaints in an unreasonable manner. Maybe parents have submitted complaints, which are designed to cause disruption or annoyance for the school, or it might be that they're demanding redress that lacks any serious purpose or value. Vexatious complaints are particularly challenging for schools to manage. And one area where we see schools failing to comply with their complaints policy and with the department for education's expectations is in dealing with parents' making vexatious complaints. It's absolutely key to keep in mind that parents themselves cannot be considered to be vexatious. Despite the volume of correspondence, which a school might receive from a parent, each complaint needs to be considered on its own merits. There may also be occasions when despite all stages of the school's complaints procedure having been followed, the parent remains dissatisfied and tries to reopen the same issue. We do see this quite frequently, whereby parents will slightly rephrase their complaints. But it's nonetheless a repetition of a complaint, which has already been considered at all stages of the school's policy. In these cases, the school can inform the complainant that the complaint's procedure has been completed and the matter is closed. If the complainant contacts the school again on that same issue, the correspondence may then be viewed as serial or persistent and the school can choose not to respond. An option where we have seen some success is putting in place a communication plan. this could be for example, that for a period of one school term, the parents are restricted to contacting a designated member of staff, or it could be that parents are restricted to a certain number of communications within a set time scale. It's always important to keep in mind that parents will, without a doubt, need to liaise with the school on day-to-day matters regarding their child and needs to need to be allowed to do so. Schools also need to take a sensible and balanced approach. And whilst abusive language is of course, unacceptable. Parents are entitled to express frustration and concern. We recommend that schools have a clear, published policy for managing serial and unreasonable complaints, and some schools can also find it helpful to put in place a home school agreement, which is signed by the parents and explicitly states the school's expectations in respect of behaviour and locations. Thank you, Cora.
0: That's a really helpful overview. We're going to be following up with a further podcasts on subject access requests schools often, of course, receive when dealing with um, parental complaints. Coral and Paul Watkins, who specializes in data protection, will be presenting this podcast. I'd also like to give everyone a heads up that on the 24th of April, we are going to be hosting a joint spring conference for schools with ISVL. At the conference, we will be looking in more depth at these and many other issues facing schools. So, do get in touch if you would like to join us.